Lord, your love is all around us. As we gather here this day, turn our hearts and minds to you, Lord. Let us hear what you would say. We say we want to live our lives for you. We say we want to carry your will through. But the day begins, the world moves in, the worries and the fears descend. Oh, Jesus, see us through. Oh, Jesus, See us through. Lord, this day is a precious gift from you. We won't have this chance again. Help our every word and deed, Lord. Come from your strong guiding hand. Give us the strength and power here this day to let your love shine through us lord we pray to turn from wrong and stand up strong even as we sing this song help us to know your way give us the strength and power here this day to let your love shine through us lord we pray to turn from wrong stand up strong even as we sing this song help us to know your Help us, Lord, this day. Help us, Lord, this day. This day. This is the day the Lord hath made, so let us rejoice and be glad in it. My name is Hal Brady, and I want to welcome you to this ministry tonight. I trust that both the message and the music will be a blessing. I'm glad you've joined us, and I hope you'll pass the news of the program to your friends. Would you hear now, please, the reading of God's Word? It comes from 1 Samuel chapter 17, beginning at the 32nd verse. David said to Saul, Let no one's heart fail because of him, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. 
Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you're just a boy, and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and whenever a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went after it and struck it down, rescuing the lamb from his mouth. And if it turned against me, I would catch it by the jaw, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be one of them, since he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who saved me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will save me from the hand of this Philistine. So Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, your will be done, nothing more, nothing less, nothing else. Speak to me and speak to someone else through me. It's in your name. Amen. So much has been and continues to be said about leadership. Our Arthur Harris W. Lee examined leadership over the past 50 years. He discovered that there are more than 350 definitions of leadership. From his study, Harris concluded that leadership is one of the most observed but least understood phenomena on earth. To be sure, leadership is very difficult to define. There is a certain elusiveness about it. There is no set formula. Leaders come in all sizes, shapes, and colors with varying temperaments. Some leaders are geniuses. Others have average intelligence. Some leaders are outgoing. Others are painfully shy. Some leaders talk a lot. Others are much more reflective. Some leaders are physically beautiful or handsome. Others are just average looking. Some leaders are educated. Some are not. Some leaders are good. Some are bad. I repeat, leadership is very difficult to define. But while leadership is very elusive and mysterious, we do recognize it when we see it. During the horrible tragedy of 9-11, we recognized it in the then mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani. Following the disaster, he set up a command post. He visited the crash site. He kept the city and the nation informed. He worked with the emergency personnel he helped with memorial services. He scheduled funerals. He visited hospitals. He did all kinds of things. He was visible and everywhere, encouraging people and groups. So what makes a leader? There are so many ways to talk about what makes a leader. However, tonight, we want to take a look at the biblical characteristics of a leader. And I want to use David from the notorious story of David and Goliath as our example, our model. David had his faults, to be sure. But at the same time, he was a leader. He was God's leader. You know the story. The situation is this. On one mountain is the army of Philistia. On the other mountain across the valley is the army of Israel. Every day, the Philistine champion, Goliath, would come out and taunt the Israelites to send a champion against him. You see, the winner of the personal battle would decide the larger issue of the nation's battle. But Israel had no champion to go up against Goliath, and so the morale of the nation sunk lower and lower and lower. But into the situation came a shepherd boy named David, as you remember. His father had sent him down from Bethlehem to carry some supplies to his brothers who were in the army of Israel. He also brought a gift to the commander. He was there to 
take back message of the battle to his father as the battle ensued. But when David heard the taunts of Goliath, he volunteered to go against the giants. Of course, the king, Saul, did not want to send him. He thought he was too young, too immature for this battle. But Saul had nobody else. So finally, reluctantly, he decided to send David up against the, the giant Goliath. Immediately, he tried to put his suit of armor on David, but it didn't fit. So David shook it off, and he immediately picked up five smooth stones from a brook. And he took his sling, and he went out to meet the giant Goliath. As he was walking along, and he saw the giant, the giant Goliath, first of all, was very amused at a youth coming to fight him. He cursed him. But then David said, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, whom you have defied. And then we are told that he simply took that sling and slung it at stone, hit him in the forehead, and Goliath fell over dead. What makes a good leader? Let's review the life of David and focus on some of the biblical characteristics of leadership. First of all, leaders are also followers. Leaders are also followers. That's a familiar story of a daughter who applied for admission into an Ivy League college. Her father was filling out the application, and when he came to this question, is she a good leader, he didn't know how to answer that question. So he simply said, I don't know about that, but I do know she is an excellent follower. A few weeks later, he received a letter back from the president of the college, and he said, our incoming class is going to have many, many leaders, and we are pleased to welcome your daughters a part of the class. Thus, we will be assured of having at least one good follower among the group. No question about it, leadership has become an important buzzword in our society today. We are being told in numerous books and magazines and seminars that leadership is the answer to every problem, every difficulty. And the fact of the matter is that's true. Leadership does determine the success of practically every enterprise. At this point, however, we need to hear Herb Miller's profound question. He says, if leadership is so important, why didn't Jesus say more about leaders? As a matter of fact, he said zero about leaders. Twenty times he spoke of followers. Why? Because Herb Miller knew that before one can lead, one may be a follower. Let's focus on our role model, David. He didn't just start off leading. First of all, he was obedient to look after the sheep on the hillside. Then he was obedient to play the music when the king demanded. And he was a loyal follower, follower in the army of Saul. The truth of the matter is, the Bible says comparatively little about leadership and a great deal about fellowship. Jesus did not call Peter, Andrew, James, and John to be leaders. He called them to be followers. And it is amazing that so many of the books of the Bible are not named for leaders, they're named for followers, like Titus and Philemon and Corinthians and etc. And here we are in our culture arguing about who is to be the head of the household. Paul said, out of reverence for Christ, we should be bow and humble toward one another, be reverent toward one another, out of reverence for Christ. That is so important to understand that even Jesus himself was the greatest follower the world had ever known. He didn't come to lord it over people. He came to be a servant. 
He said he didn't come to get people to serve him. He came to serve other people. Someone described a certain manager this way, always quick to make a decision, but seldom right. That's the problem. He made a decision, but he was seldom right. You see, he didn't understand the values or the vision. And the only way he could have done that was to become a good follower. Even contemporary observers of leadership acknowledge the need for a leader to be a follower. For instance, Douglas K. Smith in his essay, The Following Part of Leadership, says, In the 21st century organization, all leaders must learn to follow if they are to successfully lead. Leaders of all levels and in all situations must pay close attention to the situation in which their most effective, affectionate option is to follow. Not because the hierarchy demands they obey, but because performance requires them to rely on the capacities and insights of other people. The point is, when Jesus wanted to change the world, he didn't call leaders, he called followers. So leaders are also followers. And then leaders, secondly, assume responsibility. They assume responsibility. So what did David say to King Saul? Listen, he said, Let no person's heart fail because of him, Goliath. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Here we see David picking up the challenge and assuming responsibility. It is a truism that everything worthwhile that has ever happened in the world has happened because somebody exercised some leadership. There was a man driving a truckload of chickens up a hill in the North Georgia mountains. Another man was walking beside the truck beating it with an iron rod for all he was worth. Well, the patrolman saw them and pulled them over. The patrolman, as he was coming up to the window, the man rolled down the window and said, was I speeding? The patrolman said, no. He said, was I driving recklessly? The patrolman said, no. He said, what then? Why did you pull me over? The officer said, well, I saw you going up the hill, this man beating your truck, and I didn't know what he was doing. The man said, well, officer, it's like this. I got a one-ton truck and two tons of chickens, and I got to keep half of them flying to make it over that next hill. That is leadership. That is leadership. In their study of what followers most want for leaders, this group of leadership challenge came up with three things, three categories, commitment, competence, and consistency. In other words, commitment, competence, and consistency must not only be in the organization, they must be in the leaders themselves. Frank Leahy was the legendary coach of Notre Dame. After they had lost a game, he would get his team together in the locker room, and he would say, all right, gentlemen, we're going to return to the fundamentals. He said, this is a football. This is a football. At that point, we're told that one of his linemen sitting in the back taking notes said, wait a minute, coach, don't go so fast. Well, Frank Leahy was very committed. He was competent, and he was consistent. And then there was Dorothy Day, the great Roman Catholic social worker. Somebody said she was not great because of what she believed. She was not great because of this, that, and the other. She was great because she pulled what she believed in with everything else, and it was how she lived. That's what made her great, how she lived, and how important that is for us to realize. Responsible leaders will understand what Lovett Weems said when he talked about leadership. Lovett Weems is a researcher at the St. Paul School of Theology in Kansas City, Missouri. This is how he described leadership. Listen, leadership needs to be demythologized. 
We need to understand that great leaders are not born, they're made by great followers. Two, leadership is not simple. Leadership is filled more with frustration and joy than with order and clarity. Three, leadership is about group purpose. Leadership is always for people and group purposes. Four, leadership is chaotic. As one person put it, the task of a leader is the ability to be out of control comfortably. Five, leadership is funny. No leader can be effective who does not have a working sense of humor. Six, any learning about leadership is only a beginning. Seven, leadership is an art. Leadership is more an art, a condition of the heart, than a set number of rules. And eight, leadership is never an end in itself. It can never be understood apart from mission and vision. It does not exist for itself. It assumes responsibility. And so that's what a leader is. And I think we all appreciate Lovett Weems for calling that to our attention. And then thirdly, leaders serve the larger community and not their own selfish interest. We're told that all the men of Israel fled when they saw Goliath. And they said to one another, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come to defy Israel. And the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches. Here we see the great contrast. These soldiers were talking about killing this fellow for riches. David talked about getting rid of him because he defied the armies of the living God. There is quite a difference in that. A church leader described a locomotive this way. A locomotive can go faster by itself, but the task of a locomotive is to pull a train. That's also the task of leadership. Leadership is for people and groups, never for self-interest. Warren Bennis, the distinguished professor of business administration at the University of Southern California, he said, where there is leadership, there is a team, a family, a unity. Even people who don't like each other recognize that there is a family there. Several years ago, Bill Hybels, the pastor of Willow Creek near Chicago, was invited to Washington, D.C. to go attend the ceremony for Billy Graham. He was going to receive the Congressional Medal of Honor. There were world leaders and government leaders from this country all packed into the rotunda. When Billy Graham got up to receive the award, he said, this is really not for me. He said, this is for our team. We've been together for 45 years. And he went on and named them one by one. It was a great example of somebody investing in a greater interest than themselves. How important it is for us to understand that. A few years ago, we saw that same kind of leadership in South Africa. You remember Nelson Mandela. He was the messenger of reconciliation, but Dr. de Klerk, the former president, worked with him to help him run the government. They got beyond self-interest in terms of the greater community interest, and they were a real blessing. And I think this is what Dr. James Laney, former president of Emory University, meant when he described Jimmy Carter after he left the White House. Dr. Laney simply said this. He said, President Carter was the only man who ever used the presidency as a stepping stone to something greater. He was talking about the way he served the community and the greater interest. And then one other thing, leaders are undaunted by criticism. David was criticized by his brothers. He was criticized by Goliath, but he kept on. Why? Because he was committed. He said, you come to me in the, with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. I come to you in the name of the Lord. Then there's the prophet Nehemiah. You remember Nehemiah was 
rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. His enemies were everywhere. They were trying to get him to come down. But he simply said, I cannot come down. I am doing a, a great work. Let me tell you something. Purpose is always greater than criticism. Years ago, there was a pamphlet sent out to church members called Termites in the Temple. This was about 22 Protestant leaders who were accused of being dupes of the communists. One of them was a great pastor from New York. He was accused of being a part of that group. When somebody asked him about it, he said, you know, I'm just flattered to be among the group. I don't mind being called a termite as long as I'm in the company of such big bugs. How true that is. You see, purpose always gets beyond criticism. And then there was Abraham Lincoln. When his administration was shaking on the ropes, nobody knew what was going to happen in the short run. Abraham Lincoln said, I'd rather fail in something that's going to succeed than succeed in something that's going to fail. And he was absolutely right about what he said. But I want to tell you something. There was somebody greater than David or Abraham Lincoln. In the face of his critics, he climbed on a cross. He gave his life. He died. He rose again. And he established eternal, eternal kingdom. Let me tell you something. The race is on for leaders, Christian leaders. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for all great leaders. We are grateful, oh God, for people who understand the call of leadership and who respond and who seek to become the leaders that you want them to be. We ask, oh God, that you would provide the world with the kind of leadership we need in order to bring about a lasting peace. We pray, oh God, for all leadership everywhere. Bless the leaders. Help them to know that first they must be followers of you. It's in your name. Amen. Thank you for watching tonight, and I trust that you'll continue to be with us. Good night. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine.
perfect submission all is at rest i and my savior am happy and blessed watching and waiting looking above filled with his goodness lost in his love this is my story this is my song praising my savior all the day long this is my story this is my song praising my This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Say